Hello and welcome once again to On Mic with Jordan Rich. This will be the fourth podcast produced during the COVID-19 quarantine period. I'm doing uh, what we all are. I'm working from home. Today's episode was recorded a few months ago in our state-of-the-art studios at Chart Productions. Gosh, I miss the old gal. I grabbed several shows recorded before this whole life-changing event happened and feel very good about offering you this thoughtful and entertaining episode. Consider it a, an audio escape, if you will. My special guests today are Jeff Abraham, one of the most renowned comedy historians in the world, and writer, producer, and director for TV and film, Burt Kearns. Together, they've written a fabulous book called The Show Won't Go On, The Most Shocking, Bizarre, and Historic Deaths of Performers on Stage. Now, you might be thinking that it's a morbid topic, but I assure you, it's as much about the performers themselves, their backgrounds, the musicians, comics, magicians, and more, who lived impressive lives and gave it their all and met their ends poetically on the stage. So here's hoping you and all you love are safe and well. Enjoy this one. Jeff Abrahams and Bert Kearns. Guys, let's go on mic. Gentlemen, it is an honor and a pleasure to have you. I love the book, first of all, and I've thought about this from time to time, but now you've put it all into one volume. Was there an inspirational moment that ticked off this idea? I have to give credit to Donald Trump. Okay. Oh, I'll bob bite. <laughs> Uh, the reason is, 16 years ago, I went to see an Elvis impersonator at Trump 29 Casino outside of Palm Springs in the city of Coachella. And part of the, the show was a gentleman, you don't know his name, but you certainly know the voice. Ladies and gentlemen, Elvis has left the building. Oh, Thank yes. you and good night. <laughs> and a man named Al DeVoren, and he hung around after the show. We were chatting, and he had worked with Elvis and the Colonel like, Going back to 1955, he said, you've done it all. When are you writing a book? He said, yeah, yeah, I know. I know. I'll get to it. I said goodnight to him 1030 Saturday night, Sunday morning, 930. As he was leaving the hotel, he was killed in a car accident. Mm. And I, I just think about people's last performance and last show. So I came up with this premise for a book about people who, who died going to a show after a show like Hank Williams or Elvis or John Enwistle with with hookers and blow in his you know, hotel room before the Who were supposed to mount. And maybe a couple of people died on stage. And I came up with a pretty good title, The Show Won't Go On. And for 12 years, that's what all I had written <laughs> until the brilliant investigative journalist, Bert Kern, said, shut up and let's do this. That was Jeff who got the inspiration from Donald Trump. I've got no inspiration from Donald Trump. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. After 12 years, Jeff, uh, Jeff came over. Jeff and I have been have been friends and, and colleagues for 20 years. And Jeff came over one day and had this idea. And I said, Let, let's do it. Let's, I got some time. Let's, let's start researching it and let's start doing it. Which led to uh, about three years of research into this. We realized when we had more than 1,000 people who had died on the way to a show or the way home from a show, et cetera, that we should narrow it down to people who died on stage. We had more than 500 cases of this in our research. And we continued uh, you know, to whittle it down until we did find, as the title says, the subtitle, the most shocking, bizarre, and historic in, in basically all forms of uh, performing arts. Well, we'll talk about some of them in specific terms, some of the more famous ones. But I'll tell you, the eeriness of uh, musicians' last songs, titles, a man who claims to be the healthiest man on the planet, talking about living forever and then dropping. I hate to be glib about this, but isn't it weird when you start digging into these things, uh, Jeff and Bert, how odd these circumstances are upon these deaths? We, I always said to Bert, what's the button? 
because otherwise it would be just an entry of a lot of people having heart attacks. And when you had these incidents um, with these little, as you said, nuggets and gems that you couldn't make up about the 88-year-old woman who dies while playing There's No Business Like Show Business, mm. Bert and I would go, thank you, Bert. <laughs> or, or, you know, poor Edith Webster, a woman who uh, was on stage. For eight years, she played the role of a grandmother in a production of a show called The Drunkard. And every night, she had to sing a song and then collapse on stage as if she was dead. Until November 22nd, 1986, she sang her song, fell to the floor, got a standing ovation, and didn't get up. Mm. Of course, the name of the song was Please Don't Talk About Me When I'm Gone. <laughs> Oh, gosh. You can't make it up. Well, one of the things that, that really impresses the reader, and I'm an entertainment geek as you guys are, is so many of these performers are in the middle of an act, and the audience thinks that's part of the act that they're keeling over. Or Let's just jump right in here and start with one of the most famous, which is he was one of the great comic talents of all time, Dick Sean. And you guys go into great well, detail about that. The one takeaway from the book is you're absolutely right. We tell people, um, if you're going to die on stage, don't be a comedian. That's probably <laughs> the worst occupation to have on stage, because you're absolutely right. People do not take you seriously. And you, and you mentioned the glib. The one thing we really, really didn't want to make our book to be snarky and go, ha-ha, he died on stage, is we, we wanted you to care about these people. They happen to be ironic. There may be some gallows humor, but it was not to be, mm. oh, here's a bunch of unfortunate you know, idiots who died. We're paying really lovely tribute to people who been, had, had been forgotten. And, 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 and going to Dick Sean, you know, people had forgotten about him. They knew him from a couple movies, but his really great fame in his later years was touring with a brilliant one-man show. So he's touring in, um, performing down at the University of California in San Diego, doing a one-man show, and he was very avant-garde. You never knew what he was going to do. In fact, he would open the show by appearing under a pile of newspapers under the floor. So at one point, he says to the audience, imagine an atomic bomb goes off, and everyone is gone except for the people in this theater, and I am your leader. I want you to follow me. Bert, take it from there. And then he face-planted onto the stage. Um... Dick Sean was, was known also for his, during his intermissions, he would often drop to the stage as if he was in a coma or going to sleep and lie down flat on the stage throughout intermission and then get up for the second half of the show. Um, and so the stagehands and the people who worked there were told, look, if this guy hits the floor and lays there, just leave him alone. It's part of the act. Right. Well, it seemed that way until it got a little bit uncomfortable. And, and sadly, Dick's son, Adam Sean, was his stage director. Right. He was at the, he was the back of the theater. And he realizes, you know, Dad doesn't usually hit the floor like that. He hits his head kind of hard. Um, he reached out to the, uh, over the headset to the stagehand to go out and check on him, see if he's all right. Stagehand wandered out, looked at him, walked back off stage while people were laughing and saying, take his wallet, things like that. Um, Adam Sean said, well, what happened? What did he say? He goes, well, he didn't really say anything. And at that point, Adam realized that hmm. something had happened to his dad. And at that point, all, all hell broke loose. They say the worst thing you can do if you're a comedian, or for anyone to do if a comedian collapses on stage, is to say, is there a doctor in the house? Yeah. Because right away you'll get, a, you'll get a laugh from that. In this case, this is at the University of California, San Diego. The auditorium was next to a teaching hospital, and there were four doctors in the front row. So there was no need to say that. They ran up 
and worked on Dick Sean, but unfortunately yeah. couldn't save him. I'm so glad, uh, Jeff, you mentioned the, the fact that this book really talks about what happened and the people left behind, including Dick Sean's son. We'll talk about others because death is tough enough on those who go, we assume, but it's more tough on those left behind. And a lot of these stories involve not only audience members, but colleagues, staff, and family. That, that's you what know, we realized from, from the beginning was that, you know, these stories weren't funny. They might be odd, but you couldn't make fun of them. Because we talked to someone like Adam Sean, you know, more than 30 years later, and he weeps as he remembers what happened mm. that night. We've talked to, you know, the daughters and the sons and grandchildren of people who they, 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 they've seen expire on stage. And we realized we did have a responsibility to the families and, and to these performers to, to sort of, you know, highlight their careers and all the great things they did. Right. Besides the, the way they went out. Talking here with the authors of The Show Won't Go On, the most shocking, bizarre, and historic deaths of performers on stage. I've got Jeff Abraham and Bert Kearns on the conference line. And Jeff, I'll direct this to you. One of the early chapters deals with the father of uh, Albert Brooks, whose real name is Albert Einstein, Harry Einstein, park your carcass. And uh, for those who don't know, and they should know because he's part of comic history, uh, he had a, an interesting career, an interesting act. Ironically sad and touching that he one of his best performances was his last. Can you talk a little bit about uh, park your carcass? And Bert, if I can have you comment as well, it, it's among a bunch of comedians. He's he's surrounded by funny people. He's very funny himself. And I don't care how funny you are on the outside, it has to impact you. I mean, Milton Berle, for all the jokes we can make about Milton Berle, is the guy that he falls into. Uh, it's unbelievable. Yeah, the, the, the scene of the Friars' uh, benefit that night was sort of unbelievable, where he was you know, carried backstage. To, in an attempt to save his life by a group of comedians. I believe George Burns was among mm-hmm. them before the doctors took over and did what they could to save him. 
Now, uh, the rescue effort for Park Your Carcass was just as amazing. Uh, they did sort of a MacGyver thing. They, again, there were a lot of doctors in the audience because this was a, a benefit for a leper colony, and it was the you know, Beverly Hills Hotel, uh, the Beverly Hilton. And uh, one of the doctors took out a, a penknife and cut open Park Your Carcass's chest. Mm. They pulled a, um, a wire, a, a lamp wire out of the wall, uh, took the, his heart in their hands, and then tried to shock it back into beating again. Yeah, truly heroic methods in the 1950s. The story behind, yeah, the story behind the story in 1958. Right. Now, and the wonderful footnote yep. is Milton Berle is trying to settle the crowd as the uh, procedures are going on. Uh, Milton says to the great singer Tony Martin, "Sing a song," and Tony Martin sings, "There is no tomorrow." We're talking about performers of all kinds. I want to move into music for a little bit because, I mean, everyone knows about the 27 Club, those musicians, rock musicians who didn't make it past 27. But in this book, you have some really incredible stories of people dying in in mid-performance. The one that really touches me is Curtis Mayfield. I mean, here's a poor guy who's getting on stage and gets whacked because of a, what, a sudden windstorm or a... That's all it took, yes. An an outdoor concert uh, that he was performing in Queens, New York. And uh, it was very bad weather, very, very windy. And suddenly uh, a gust of wind blew the lighting towers and speakers off the rigging and onto his back. Uh, Injured seven people, but no one was hurt as badly as Curtis, who had a broken neck and wound up paralyzed. Mm. He's sort of a special chapter in this book. Most everyone that we covered were people who were stricken on stage and died shortly afterwards, if not on the stage itself. Curtis is is in a... chapter we call the long goodbyes because there were two sort of parallel deaths uh, because Curtis Mayfield lived for another eight years before he passed on. He was paralyzed. He actually continued to record lying on his back and managing to get one line out at a time. I, I, that was incredible. That I read that. Yeah, I, I never heard that. That was yeah. a piece of information that you guys were uh, were digging up that was amazing. And the other performer in that chapter, of course, is Jackie Wilson. Jeff, talk a little bit yeah, about him. Another incredible Another incredible story, uh, you know, performing uh, at a, in 1974 at a, at a Dick Clark rock and roll revival with Dick Clark standing at the side of the stage. And Jackie Wilson, of course, was this incredibly dynamic performer. He was known as the Black Elvis. He was an inspiration for Elvis Presley, right, an inspiration right. for Michael Jackson's dancing. And he had the song Lonely Teardrops. And you talk about, you know, not being able to make this up. He was at that point in the song where he's saying, my heart is crying, my heart, my heart. Mm. Clutches his chest with a heart attack, falls over backwards, slams his head on the stage, and suffers a stroke. And he too lived in the twilight of a coma for the next eight years before he passed on. You know, tre- tremendous, you know, inspirational stories. Uh, maybe you guys said it that knocking his head on the hard surface might have led to the stroke. Actually, right? Yes, that's what, that's what they they think probably right, happened. Right. Yeah. Right. Wow. We're talking about uh, performers of all stripes. Let's get over to England because odd things happen in England on TV anyway and on BBC. But you've got several people of British ancestry who have had bizarre ends, including some on live TV. There's one in particular you guys want to talk about. Feel free. Tommy Cooper, who probably not not that well-known to Americans, but he is named checked in the John Lennon song, Give Peace a Chance. Um, he was a comedy magician, very much like a magician we know here in America, the great Carl Ballantyne, who was a comedian and actor who was on McHale's Navy. So he was a favorite on English television for years. He did a 
a spoof of a magic act. And in the latter part of the years, after you know hard drinking and things like that, he had, was not in the best of health. He had previously had a heart attack. He was doing a live television show called Live from Her Majesty's, Her Majesty's Theater, which would be broadcast and seen by 12 million people. He's doing his act, and he would put on a cloak, and, and items would appear magically from underneath the cloak, but actually it was someone from the stage that would keep on pushing larger and larger hmm. items. As the cloak went on, he started to tumble backwards. And again, like with most comedians, people thought, oh, he's doing a bit. But the people quickly realized, hmm, you know, he's kind of old and he's not in the best health. I, that may not be part of the act. But but the, it took the director, who, who is not that familiar, to watch him fall, and you can hear the audience kind of go from laughter to kind of like quiet disbelief for 42 seconds before they cut away and realize somebody had just died on stage. And that's only half of the story, Bert. Well, that's a story everyone knows when, it, when they cut the commercial and that was the end of it. What they didn't realize was that waiting in the wings to go on stage with a bunch of dancers to do a production number was uh, Donnie Osmond. And, of course, they, they couldn't go out to do the, the Donnie Osmond routine because they had to keep the, the, the curtain closed because Tommy Cooper's 260-pound body was right behind the curtain, and they were doing, trying to rescue him, uh, pounding on his chest, bringing over defibrillators, whatever they could, for, while a live television show was going on. So they threw these two comedians out, Dustin G and Les Dennis. They were a popular comedy team. And they were forced to go out there and do their routine while the grunting and the noises and the shouting mm. were going on like two feet behind them. Um, people know that part of the story. What people might not know is that about a year and a half later, uh, Les Dennis and Dustin G were on stage when Dustin G had a heart attack as he was oh. walking off stage, and he basically died on stage as well. Hmm. It, what, what's really touching, of course, and we talked about this earlier, is the fact that people in performance and entertainment and show business are ultimately people like the rest of us. And at one point, I, I read in one of your chapters, somebody said, no, the show's not going to go on. We've got to stop this. I was at a play once in Boston, Mac the Knife, I remember, and uh, there was a, an incident in the audience where somebody passed out or something, and they stopped the show, and Eileen Heckert was directing, I believe. She came out, and she sort of corralled everybody into getting getting everything squared away, and then they continued the show. But the idea of not of just going on when somebody dies is just creepy. It's nice to see some of these people had the decency to take care of their own. Depends on, on the venue. We had a, a story which became very uncomfortable for the band Green Day. Mm. Uh, there was a, a, a music festival a couple of years ago in Madrid, and Green Day were the stars that, that day. Uh, there were probably you know twenty thousand people in the crowd at least, and their opening act was an aerial dancer. He he performed in a, in a, a lit box hundred feet above the stage. It looked like he was it looked like he was you know floating in air dancing when really he was strapped to harnesses. Uh, when the harness snapped and he fell 100 feet to his death, people watched him fall and also saw him fall on the big screen on the, on the stage. Um, there, was, there was a delay in the show, and the promoters realized, you know, if we don't let Green Day go on, there could be some sort of riot. So Green Day went on. Uh, unfortunately, they had been kept in a holding area half a mile away and had no idea what happened. So the band went on and did their set with no mention of this tragedy, and people were tweeting during the show, you know, Mm. You, you bastards! How could you do this? You're, you know, you're so cruel. So 
to, to even go through with this. And they had to spend the next week doing uh, a lot of press conferences and, and a lot of mm. uh, tweets themselves explaining that they had no idea this had happened. I really felt for them. In that case, the show had to go on. Right, it did. And, and I felt for them because it was totally out of their control. Let's talk about one musician who died and came back. There's only one in the book, I think, Nick Lowe, and I certainly know of him. I didn't know about this experience. Jeff, do you want to start that one? You know, it's it's funny. There are, there are performers and stories that you, um, you can't make up. And Nick Lowe is one of them. You know, they talk about performers being electrocuted on stage with their guitar, and Nick was one of them. But the amazing part of that story was, as you said, we thought we had lost them. So he's performing, and he is electrocuted and goes down for the count. And they can't unplug the, um, the guitars because it's behind amps. They can't get to him. And also, if you touch him, you're going to get electrocuted. So it's it's a frantic um, frenzy going on stage with roadies and things of that. And, Bert, what happened next? Well, it's funny. Nick says he's lying there on the stage. He had, he had an ungrounded microphone in one hand, his guitar in the other, and he hears a voice. And he's watching people run around him in slow motion. And he, the voice says, well, Nick, I guess this is it. This is the way you're going to go. Uh, it was a good life. And then suddenly his keyboard player with his, with his Doc Martin boots goes to kick the microphone out of his hands and mm. misses and instead kicks, oh. <laughs> uh, kicks Nick Lowe in the chest and restarts his heart. And hurt his ribs but saved his life, right? Saved his life. And it's funny, this took place on July 6, 1969 in London. Um, you talk about the 27 Club. Um, Les Harvey, everybody believes until, until this point, Everyone believed that the first person electrocuted on stage, a rock guitarist, was Les Harvey in 1972. And with this Nick Lowe story, we sort of changed yeah. history here. And we found that somebody actually died on stage before him. And came back. And Nick is still performing uh, uh, today. Yeah, I know. That's, the, um, that's tremendous. That's a good yeah. news story. Some of the performers, and there's so many, the book is fascinating. Some of the performers, it was kind of like FDR's fourth term. Everybody knew that they were pretty sick and on their last legs or really not doing well. And this is absolutely no pun intended. Tody Fields, who lost a leg and still performed, and she died shortly thereafter. I loved her. But uh, talk a little bit about Tiny yeah. Tim, Herbert Corey, because he was really in bad shape and still still went out there and still gave it his best, I guess. You know, certain performers, you know, when do you, when do you end? You end because of health? You, um, you keep on performing because you need the money? And, you know, Tiny Tim was, you know, a little bit of everything. Um, about a month before his last performance <coughs> or so, he had, he had a heart attack and fell. And luckily, he lived, but the doctor said, Tiny, you need to take a year off. And he didn't. You know, he was now in Minneapolis with his um, third wife, Miss Sue, and he's performing at this, uh, to use a great expression, a facocked little woman's auxiliary club. <laughs> and the bands there didn't even know how Tiny Tim would be performing. It's the worst way to have a final performance at the end of his performance he does his trademark song tiptoe through the tulips and he's just about to turn and to walk off he looks at his wife and goes i'm not feeling well and he collapsed mm. 
Bert, and he was buried with his ukulele. Ah, yeah, it's it's very touching and and sad, and it's nice to know though that you guys have done something here, and we have more to talk about. You've celebrated their lives. It's not just their ends; it's their lives leading up to that. And you tell some great stories about these people, including Tiny Tim, who was uh, an enigma to say the least. So uh, I think our, our yeah. listeners and readers appreciate that. About it, because if if you're reading three pages and you didn't really care about it, mm. um, the their death would be like, oh, and he died. But we really wanted you to uh, follow their journey along, and and it was just an unfortunate ending. But they were wonderful performers in their own right. That um, these circumstances, uh, unfortunately, um, mm. took their lives. You know, that's one. That's one reason why. That's, that's one reason why a lot of the, the family members wanted to talk to us. Because mm-hmm. you know we, we 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 got interviews with with people, uh, you know, spouses and and children, and we would say, you know, did you did you get any satisfaction out of the fact knowing that they died doing what they loved? Mm-hmm. Most of them said, you know, well, yeah, but you know, wish we had them around for a lot longer. Mm-hmm. And they really wanted people to know that their lives and their careers were as important as the way they passed. That's and a, that's why we had a response. That, so we had a responsibility for them to tell the stories of these people, not just tell the stories of how they went out. No, I appreciate that very much, and I know my listeners do too. Uh, speaking of individuals to talk to, you conversed a lot with one of my favorite people, and I've interviewed him a bunch of times, Penn Gillette, on a very important segment, and that is those magicians and astounders who ended up in a bad place because of what went wrong on stage. And you spend some time on the magic bullet trick which I've seen them perform a bunch of times live. Jeff, you can start if you want. I thought it was really interesting what Penn Gillette had to say about that particular trick and about things that happen on stage, why they don't need to happen on stage. Um, I will, Bert will, I will, I'll start with it. I'll let Bert um, expand on it because he did the actual interview with Penn Gillette. But we knew right away that we had to interview Penn Gillette. As you know, he's so well-versed in, in the history of magic. He's so articulate and opinionated. And he's spoke many times, especially when David Blaine was catching a live bullet on TV, and he, how he thought it was just disgusting, and, and you know, ch- people who cheat death. So we knew, and also as a, the great practitioners who've carried on this tradition of a magic trick that have, has killed dozens and dozens of people for nearly 300 plus years, we knew Penn Gillette would be the best person to really expound on this and and, and give his philosophy on it. Bert, and what did Penn tell you? Well, well Penn really felt that it, it, it's immoral to go out there and put yourself, for a magician to put yourself on, on the line and actually risk your life. It's not fair to the audience, and it's an immoral thing. And he made it clear to us, he gave away one secret about the bullet catch that I think a lot of magicians in the past, and probably a few that are out there now, don't get. And that is that the bullet catch is a trick. You know, it's, it's a trick. It's not an illusion. It's not a stunt. It's a trick. And he says that, you know, they, they set up a system of checks and balances that makes their version, which I think is one of the best, probably the best version of the bullet catch out there, uh, is also the safest. You know, he, they, mm. he said that, that he and his partner, Teller, follow Houdini's rule, which is basically try not to do anything that is more dangerous than sitting in your living room. Yeah. And, you know, he made it very clear also that, you know, a safe, doing a safe bullet catch is very much more difficult than doing one that's, that's not safe. Mm-hmm. 
thought that was a great chapter because I'm a, a fan of magic and the history of it, and uh, I found it to be really interesting. And, and the chances that people take to try to outdo themselves or others uh, can often lead to terrible circumstances. I thought you were going to say to try to outdo Houdini. Well, that would be, yeah. <laughs> that's, a lot of, that's a lot of them out there. That's a lot of them do. That's it. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, Houdini would not do the, the bullet catch. That's something to remember. He wouldn't do the bullet catch. Houdini would not do the buried. He tried to do the buried alive routine, not on a stage, but actually in the ground and almost died doing it. And people, right. you know, we, we have the story of Amazing Joe Burris, uh, sort of an amateur magician who wanted to outdo Houdini with his buried alive trick. He knew Houdini couldn't do it. And he did it, and he didn't survive it, unfortunately. Before I ask you to comment on one of the most famous events in television history that very few people, if anybody has seen, you guys have knowledge of it. That's the Dick Cavett issue. I have one incident that's not minor because it involved a human being. You probably both remember the show Combat from the 60s, right? This is sure. not a, this is not a Vic, oh, yeah. the, Vic Morrow, right? Right, but this is not a, a Vic Morrow-related story, although he also no, right, died. But that's Correct. Yeah, exactly. He also died in the midst of performing. No, Rick Jason was the actor's name, and he wrote a little book, and it was the late 90s, and he played the lieutenant. He was the great above Sergeant Saunders. And I remember it was a Sunday night. I called him, and we had arranged for an interview the next day or the next week, the next weekend. And he was very chipper and very excited about doing the interview. Next day, I read in the paper he committed suicide. Really floored me because it's like, wow, I just talked to this guy. And he seemed very gung-ho and very nice, and who knows what was going on in his mind and heart. But uh, these things affect you, you know. I just want to uh, relay that one story. heard at the top of the show, you know, meeting uh, Al DeVoren, you know, and dying 12 hours after meeting him, you know, and then with those eerie words. And also that's one one way we compiled the book. During the course of doing this book tour, we've heard from people who said, oh, I did a show and – Someone was in the green room and he had a heart attack and stories like that. That's and then some people have heard stories and they they get some facts mixed up. But yeah, no stories of like mm. that have uh, have definitely helped um, our book and added to our, our, our is going to into our forthcoming sequel. But that was also one of the one of the problems writing this book was that when we when we began, people kept dying on stage. Mm. Every time we thought we had it down, more people would die. You know we. On our website, theshowwon'tgoon.com, we have a page where we've been, you know, keeping track since the book was published. And there were uh, 25 people who died on stage hmm. in 2019. Hmm. Um, and so far, two people have died on stage uh, this year in, in 2020. One, one of them made international headlines, a singer-songwriter named David Olney, um, back in January. He was on stage. Oh, yes, country. Country stuff. singer, yeah. Yeah. Older. the performers. And he was sitting there. He was, Older guy, 71, but he was sitting on the stool with his guitar. He had his nice hat on, and he was in the middle of a song and just said, sorry, and put his head down and didn't fall off the stool, didn't let go of the guitar, and and died on stage. You both describe the, the physical manifestation, if you will, of what happens when some of these people go. Some of them pass very quietly and almost with a sense of peace. They don't fall, they don't, and others, uh, unfortunately, face plant, and it's a terrible situation. Let's talk, though, about Dick Cavett, who's one of my favorite people on planet Earth, and I love him. I, I watch his shows now all the time in reruns. But this is the most famous interview on television, I think, television history, because of who he's interviewing and what happens to him. Bert, you want to start off? Well, June 
1971. Jeff, take it from there. <laughs> okay. Well, it's funny. We call it television history because this episode never aired on television. People to this day would come up to Dick Cavett and say, the look on your face when that person died, and he would always tell, were you in the audience? Because the show never aired. Mm. But, but Dick has been talking about it since 1971. Um, a very good friend of ours named Robert Bader works for Dick Cavett, and he said to us, if you sell this book, we will let, I will allow you to watch this episode. So Bert and I are the first people, civilians slash journalists, mm-hmm. to watch this episode. I mean, you can really almost count the number of people who've seen this show on one hand. And there was J.I. Rodale, a health expert. Thank you for a wonderful button. As Dick Cavett said, the gods were very good to me that day. <laughs> yes. And he was charming. He was funny. He had written humor books before. And he was just great. And at one point, um, he stops his, himself and says, well, I don't want to waste all my stories. And Dick says, don't worry, we'll have you back. And they finish their segment. They move over one chair. They cut to a close-up. And the next guest is the journalist, Pete Hamill. Yes. And the next thing you hear, it sounds like a snore. And that's where an urban legend was always, uh, where an urban legend occurred, that Dick Cavett said to Mr. Rodale, am I boring you? Well, that never happened. Um, I was going to say, you know, in watching this, the video of this, you see how immediately Dick Cavett and Pete Hamill realized something was wrong. And though there were some titters from the audience, there was immediate shock and concern on their faces. And Dick Cavett told us this when we interviewed him in relation to this. He was about to say a line, is there a doctor in the house? But he realized that if he said that, he'd get a laugh. So he stopped himself, and you can see him stop himself, and he says, uh, get a doctor. Does anyone know, is there a doctor here? Rather than, is there a doctor in the house? That's... And uh, <laughs> there, was, there was also uh, an oxygen unit in the house, but unfortunately it was not working. Um, but Mr. Rodell was, was gone in the chair. In the still photos, and Jeff, you're a comedy historian, there's a lot of Emil Sitka in him, if you know who that is, from the Three Stooges. <laughs> <laughs> or or uh, what's his name from uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still? Uh, that kind of thing. <laughs> Definitely. Right. And that's the first yeah. time these, fo- these photos had, had been seen. Um, we also had the option of, uh, we had his signed contract, his, you know, his release, his after contract, which he had signed, you know, an hour before taking the mm. air. It, we didn't, it didn't make the cut, but yeah, we were to, to give people the. Dick has, have, has put this under lock and key. No one has seen this. Well, yeah, we were able, to, we were able to, to record the video, uh, record the audio as well. So we were able to make an accurate transcript of what happened. Yeah. Um, again, we got to thank Robert Bader for that. Bader, incidentally, is the director of. The, the new documentary, Ali and Cavett, that's running on HBO. Oh, which is fabulous, by the way. For those who have not yet seen it, must-watching, absolutely. Robert S. Fader. You guys aren't from Boston, but I am, so I'll tell you the story. When Ted Williams had his last at-bat, there were about 6,000 people at Fenway, and his last at-bat, he had a home run. But if you ask people today, there were about 6 million people there, or 8 million. You know, everybody was at that yeah. game. Same idea. We have that. There was a comedian who you know from Car 54, Joey Ross. Oh, yes. Ooh, so he ooh, was ooh. at the end of his ooh, life. Ooh, ooh. Right. Who should not have been performing, but he was offered $100 to perform at the rec room at the local, uh, you know, 
rundown uh, apartment building he was living in. He died in mid-performance, and when his now widow went to collect the money, they gave they gave her fifty dollars. He goes, "What happened?" They go, "He never he never finished the show, so you only get half." Oh we, God! We spoke to more comedians and said, "Oh yeah, I was with her that night. Yeah, oh. I went with her, and she." All right, all right fine. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, we you guys for like eleven people, and fifteen people said we were there. You must have had a a really <laughs> great time interviewing a, a lot of people on this project, though. I yeah, would imagine people were very forthcoming with us too. People wanted to talk about it, which was, mm. which was great. They wanted to talk about their their loved ones. So there will be a sequel. Well, yes. Yeah, so uh, funny when we again when we when we started the book, we wound up with too much. I mean, we, we weren't going to do athletes or bullfighters or people who go into you know, an arena or a ring knowing that death is in the cards. But we also covered Hollywood, uh, actors who died on camera. Oh, um, Tyrone, Tyrone Power, people like rehearsals. that. Yeah. Tyrone Power, Absolutely. you know, the story of, of John Ritter. And, we, and in order to keep the book, you know, in a, in a, a wieldy state, we've got a, sep- we've got a separate book we're doing on Hollywood. The shoot won't go on. The shoot won't go on. Perfect, perfect. For some, they might think it's a little on the morbid side, but it's it's real life. It's real activity. It's real history. And uh, as a fan of all of these kinds of entertaining people, uh, music, magicians, comedians, actors, I think it's fascinating. I think people love to, to learn more about the behind-the-scenes stories. Uh, so I give you both uh, a lot of credit. You know, we always made sure that wherever the bookstore has filed it, it went under uh, entertainment history. And someone didn't put it, you know, next to, in the humor section next to some book written by the AV Club. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> yes. it is really a history of show business. Well, it's called The Show Won't we Go On. We're a celebration. Indeed. And, and the website is theshowwon'tgoon.com. The most shocking, bizarre, and historic deaths of performers on stage. Jeff Abraham and Burt Kearns. Thank you both, gentlemen, for not only an entertaining segment, but for doing the digging. Uh, do, I almost said doing the digging. That's a terrible thing to talk about. <laughs> doing the deep dive. Let's no do pun it. Intended. <laughs> Every pun intended with me. Thank you both very, very much. Truly a pleasure. Great to have connected with both Bert and Jeff a few months back. A fascinating topic. And again, you can find out more about the book at their website, theshowwon'tgoon.com. It's all one word. I want to thank you as always for listening. I want to thank Dan Tebow of Fast Twitch Media, my first officer and right-hand man, Ken Carberry, and all of my fellow podcasters out there. Keep doing what you're doing. We all need to stay in touch. I'm Jordan Rich saying, as always, be well, especially now, so you can do some good. Take care.